You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Rob Casey, it's awesome to have a, a rock star in our church. Uh, Casey's a real rock star. He had a he had a record deal and everything, and uh, was on his way to. Uh, we would all know, everyone would know the name of Casey uh, Purvis, but um, Nirvana ruined that, right? Uh, Nirvana was the same record label, and uh, a little bit different style, and all the direction went to Nirvana and away from Casey's band, but I told him, you know what, you might have never become a disciple, you might not even still be alive, and he's like, you are right, you know, so he, he feels the same way, so we're lucky to have, uh, have our rock star here at Casey. So. Amen. Speaking of, of that, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of our lives and story and how God works in our lives. We're continuing a series uh, called uh, Reading Romans Backwards. And uh, so if you want to go ahead and be turning over uh, in your Bibles to uh, Romans, um, I have something I want to show you. It came in the, in the mail to, uh, this week. I don't know uh, who ordered this. Maybe it was one of you. It says somebody sent it to me as encouragement or something. It's just, it's, it's uh, writing I can't read, either Chinese or Japanese or something. I don't know what it is. You know, it's showing my ignorance. But it says, cool technology glasses. And uh, they, 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 you can't probably see in this light, but they flash like in the dark, all these different lights, light colors. And so what do you guys think? Is that a good look? Yeah, they're pretty cool. But, uh, you know, this is a visual because when we read the Bible, uh, we all read with certain lenses, with different lenses. We all read with different glasses on. So that's a good segue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, we do. We, we do. We all have culture we come from. We all have a, a history we come from. We all have a place in the way that we look at things that we come from. And so we, we tend to, we all view uh, the Bible with some kind of cultural lens on, some kind of, you know, framework. And uh, what we're trying to do with this series in Romans is get a little bit more, you know, better glasses you know what 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 was this text originally because this is probably the book of the bible that the most has been written about in christian history the last 2000 years there's so much deep theology there uh and as steve mentioned last week he taught us uh that word soteriology the the idea of salvation uh and and that a lot of uh, of, of commentary in romans has really been about personal salvation and there is a lot in there about our own story and our own salvation, but that's not really why Paul wrote the book. And so uh, we're trying to learn more about why did Paul write the book. So I want to kind of remind you about the story of it. And, and today we're really going to get into that idea of story. And speaking of cultural lenses and, and you know, our culture, what we're into, story is something that we all understand or we all enjoy. You know, if you have a choice between reading an academic textbook or watching a movie... I think almost everybody here would probably pick the movie. There's a few, maybe Devin would like the textbook. His mom's pointing at him. You know, for a lot of us, you know, academics, uh, facts and figures, it's kind of something we have to, or a story is something we get to. We love story, right? And um, story is super important to the ancient world, and, and knowing the story of Romans helps you get more out of it. Um, if you didn't know this, the Disney Plus tagline I learned this week is, all the best stories in one place. 
So Disney believes they have all the best stories. Uh, so that's, that's arguable. But, uh, uh, but so the story of Romans. So just to remind you kind of where we've been so far. So Paul wrote this book because he planned to visit Rome. Remember that? Uh, he, had, he was in uh, Corinth at the time, and he uh, was planning to make this trip to, back to Jerusalem. He's going to go all the way around to all these churches that he uh, had uh, planted and, and, and collect a contribution for the, the work in Jerusalem. Then after he met, got to Jerusalem, he wanted to uh, plan to, to come and visit Rome and, and get uh, some support, some financial support from them because he wanted to eventually make it to, anybody remember? Where was he trying to get? Spain, yeah. Remember we talked about how, like, the, the, the sp spatially where, where it was, it's kind of like Rome would be, like, over there, and then Spain is, like, the next block over. So he's trying to get, he's trying to, get to Rome and then eventually to Spain. So he wrote this book to, 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 he knew a lot of people in Rome. He'd never been there, but he knew a lot of people in there. Priscilla and Aquila, uh, a key couple, a lot of us know their name. That was one of the couples that he knew really well. But knew a lot of them, as we see in the end of, uh, of the book of Romans in chapter 16, he knew a lot of people there. So he's writing and telling him he's coming, but he's also addressing, he knew there were some cultural issues or some things that had, had come up in the church there because of this Jew-Gentile uh, difference. And uh, he, he's addressing two groups, the weak and the strong. And just to kind of remind you who those were, who he calls the weak, those are the predominantly Jewish believers who were still trying to observe the law, the, law, the Torah, and uh, they, they, had, they had Christianity, they believed in Jesus, they believed Jesus rose from the dead, but they wanted to keep their Judaism. And, then, and so Paul calls them weak. Not, weak mean, uh, the, in the original Greek, was not ha those not in power, those not having power. So they, they didn't have cultural power, they were kind of the bottom. They, they were the ones living in apartments, they were the ones that got kicked out of Rome and then made it back into Rome, but they were tra more transient. They were more impoverished. That's why there was uh, several collections for the church in Jerusalem because the Jews kind of had it hard. They were heavily taxed and just had a difficult situation at the time. So he calls them the weak. Uh, he also talks about their faith a little bit as we looked at uh, their faith being weak because they weren't fully depending on Jesus. But, uh, and then the strong uh, he uses, and that's a little bit maybe tongue-in-cheek because the, the Greek uh, believers, the Gentile believers, the, the Roman believers, they had, they were more tied into society. They were upper, uh, a little bit more in upper levels of, of uh, society there in Rome. They lived more in the, in the houses, not the apartments. There were apartments, by the way. There were six-story apartment buildings in Rome at the time that Paul wrote this, which is kind of interesting. But the, 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 the strong, they had, you know, maybe better jobs, a little more affluent, and they also tended, you remember there's there two things happening. The weak tended to look in judgment. They were judgmental of the strong. Oh, you Gentiles, you don't get it. And then the Gentiles tended to be condescending to the, uh, to the, the weak, to the Jews. They're like, oh, I can't believe they have this framework of, of their faith. And they don't. So there, that, that's what was happening. So he's addressing all that. That's the context that Paul writes Rome, to Rome, uh, the Roman house churches about. And it's sent by a, a sister named Phoebe. She was uh, probably a very well-to-do woman, uh, probably uh, a Gentile woman. But uh, Paul had instructed, you know, taught her uh, maybe how to even read the text, how to share this letter. And so they're hearing it. These different Roman house churches are hearing the letter of Rome through the voice of Phoebe. So that's kind of a reminder of sort of where, we, where we've been. And then Paul, uh, Paul uh, before he gets to the practicals, so the end of the lesson is the practicals. We started with that. You know, here's what you need to do. Uh, and uh, last week, Steve talked about, right before those practicals, he talks 
uh, more about principles. Um, here's who, why you need to be that or who you need to be. The law of love. You need to love each other. So that the, those, those theological, those deep principles that really apply to all of us. That when we, fulfill the, when we love each other, we fulfill the law of Christ. That love is what it's all about. Uh, will-directed, self-sacrificial love. Loving God, loving others in the church, and loving those outside the church. So those are the principles. So today we're going to get to what comes before that. That's in Romans 9 through 11. We're not going to be able to look at all of Romans 9 through 11. Uh, and talk more about the past. How did we get here? Where do we fit in into the big story of God and what God's doing in the world? So we kind of went from practicals at the end of the book to principles that come before that and now to the past. That Paul is reminding them of their story and how they fit into the story of God's people. So the, the title of the lesson today is Our Place in the Story. So we're going to first look at, okay, what was he saying to them? What was he saying to the weak and to the strong? What was he saying to the Jews and the Gentiles? And then how do we fit into that? What's our place in that story? Um, So turn over to Romans 9, and uh, I'm going to say another quick word of prayer. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word right now. Thank you to be able to open this uh, Bible, this letter from uh, the Apostle Paul to the believers in Rome. And I pray that you, your spirit, through your spirit, through these words, would convey your message to us today. Uh, God, that each person here on the live stream or uh, in this space uh, here in this parking lot, God, that each one of us can hear from you right now. Uh, God, that you would speak through this text and uh, into our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, in in Romans 9, he, he starts reminding them about who Israel is, who the Jewish people are. He says in verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for the sake of Christ, for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And Paul is is wise because throughout the book of Romans, he's sometimes kind of identifying with the weak, and he's sometimes kind of identifying with the strong. To the Gentiles, to the strong, he's saying, I have the same perspective as you do about uh, certain foods and about certain days of the week. And, you know, I, I'm kind of on your side with that. But here he's saying with the Jews, I am one of you. I'm on your side in terms of what, how we view our past, how special it is to be a Jew, how special it is to belong to these people. And he says, I, I love the Jews so much, I could wish that even I wasn't a Christian. If that meant, I could wish that I didn't even have the truth if it meant all of them could be saved. Like, I just care so much about uh, these people and, and and his heart just pours out for them and then he, he he goes into the 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 story of the Jewish people and kind of where they came from and and many different uh, pulls many different things out of the Old Testament as you scan through there what are some names that jump out to you from uh, the story the Old Testament just anybody if you see a name uh, in these in chapter nine chapter ten just uh, shout out the name that you see Abraham Rebecca Isaac I heard who else Sarah, Moses, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a, a, a villain in the story, right? Uh, Jacob, I heard somebody say. Jose, Isaiah, Hosea, uh, Isaiah again. Yeah, th- so that he's, he's reminding them, we're going to talk about Elijah a little bit. He's reminding them of all these stories. And, and 
and that these stories is what made God's people God's people is this uh, you know how God was choosing for himself starting with Abraham but choosing for himself a people that would be special and through those people God would bless the whole world that God would eventually bring the Messiah and through the Messiah and through this new kingdom and this new way of being he would bless all people on earth and so that's this this big story that he's reminding them of and uh, you know all the names here are to remind them of that um, there, there's a uh, a podcast that some of us have been listening to called Bema. How many of you guys have listened to the Bema podcast? Okay, a lot of you, okay. And uh, there's kind of a repeating thing that's said in that from the very beginning, and that's trust the, trust the story. And so these people of God, it's the big, it's the, the, the big picture uh, idea that keeps coming back is, do you trust God's story? Or are you trying to grab hold of it and make it work the way you want it to work? Are you trying to grab control and make things work the way you want to? And he's saying in, in, in here, when he's talking about the Jewish people, he's saying they didn't trust the story. And look in chapter 10. He says, uh, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to Christ's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He says they tried to, uh, sought to establish a righteousness that was their own. They didn't uh, trust the story. They didn't trust what God was doing in the world. They tried to go, I want to I control the narrative. I want to make this something I can determine. Right. Instead of trusting God and because God's story often takes unexpected twists, you know, God's story often takes turns that maybe we didn't want or we didn't see coming. And every story in the Bible is like that, you know, where, oh, I thought it was going to be like this. And God's like, nope, surprise, it's going to be like that. And uh, and so they weren't they weren't trusting that. And so he wants to remind them of uh, of this uh idea that they've got to trust they've got to choose to trust the story they've got to choose to put their faith in God and he's telling them that you know it's not because what they were doing to try to establish a righteousness of their own was they were trying to make being a, a person of God about these things that you do and these laws that you follow and these customs and and you know observing certain holidays and and what you eat and and all of these things that you can kind of control more easily it's not about your heart it's just okay, I, I, this is what I eat, this is what I don't eat, this is where I go on the weekends, this is, you know, how I choose to live. And it's all kind of external just observances and, and kind of forgetting the most important thing, which is living by faith, which is what's in your heart, what, what you really, what's on your, in your core. And so he, he hearkens back to a time where a very, very uh, key moment in a defining time in Israel history. And that's where they came out of their wandering in the desert, their 40 years of wandering in the desert, and they were going into the promised land. So just to remind you that the people of God, the Israelites, they had ended up in Egypt through the patriarchs, through uh, Jacob's family going down to Egypt. After 400 years, this whole people group had become enslaved by the Egyptians. So they were a slave population. Through amazing works, uh, amazing, amazing things, God brought that people group out of Egypt and up to the promised land. They were afraid to go in, if you remember the story. And so then they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And God's purpose is there in the desert. He says, I wanted to test you and know what was in your what? 
what was in your heart, right? So it's all about the heart. It's all about the, and, and, and uh, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but the heart for the ancient world, when we think of the heart, we tend to think of what? Love. We think of emotions, right? Uh, you know, if you listen to, you know, every time I, I hear Spanish music, I don't know the, uh, the words, but I always hear that word, corazón, right? Corazón, corazón. I was like, okay, you know, I know what they're talking about, right? Uh, but, but heart for the ancients, heart wasn't that. It wasn't your emotions. Heart is your decisions, your, your, like the core of what you're deciding. So your brain, for, for us, we think more of our brain with decisions, don't we? But for the Eastern mind, the, the mind is like, okay, those are the facts. Those are the, that's the details. But then my heart is, what am I going to do, though? What is my decision going to be? Does that make sense? And so for them, their feelings is more their gut. So when they talk about their gut or their bowels or their stomach, that's the emotions. It's like I feel it down here in my gut, right? That's, and even I love from my gut. You know, that's kind of gross to us. I love you from my bowels, brother. You know, like, just, But for, for the ancients, that's like, wow, thanks, bro. I feel so encouraged. Just love me so much. And so in, Deuteron- so, so in Romans 9, we, we get this thing that he's talking about. Okay, this, this really confuses people when you read this. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it uh, in verse nine, uh, 5 of chapter 10. Everybody with me? Moses writes about this in the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is, bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and your heart, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Christ Jesus is Lord of all, richly blesses everyone who calls on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So people read that and it sounds, they get really confused. They get really confused because Paul is interacting with Jewish text. He's interacting with a story that they all knew because this is like the defining thing of their, uh, you know, religion. And that's them, the, the Jewish people being established, going into the promised land, coming out of Egypt. Like that's the defining thing. That's what makes them who they are. So they, they all know exactly what he's talking about, but we don't know what he's talking about. And so we kind of go, what? Bring Christ down, bring Christ up. What is he talking about? You know, like in my heart and my mouth and confess Jesus Lord and believe in your heart. What is, what is he talking about? So he, let's look over at Deuteronomy 30. It's not on the screen. Uh, just This is extra credit, you know, just to turn there. Uh, Deuteronomy 30. I just want to look at the original text because I think it's kind of more clear. Uh, and, and it'll make it a lot more clear to you what, what he's saying. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, it means the second law or the second word. It's, it's, it's when Moses gives the law again to these new, uh, these new uh, Jews who, you know, and their parents now passed away, so it's a, it's, a, it's a generational thing. So now these people who grew up in the desert, now they're going to enter the promised land, and he's reminding them of what, what this is all about. And he kind of comes to a climax uh, of, of his teaching in, in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, there's so much here. I, I, I wish I could read it all, but we don't have time. So just skip to verse 11. I, I encourage you to read, read Deuteronomy 30, this whole thing on your own. Deuteronomy is an awesome book of the Bible. I just love it. It's, uh, it really helps you get 
the, the way that the law works with faith. And that's what Paul is, is trying to tell them. Verse 11, he says, Now what I command to you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. This is, again, Moses, who's the old, old guy about to die, talking to all these youngsters, right? And he's telling them what's going to happen when they go to the promised land. Verse 12, It is not up to heaven, so you have to ask, who will send it into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, verse 14, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. You have a choice between these two, right? Life or death, prosperity or, you know, destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. The Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you to this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what's happening here in Deuteronomy is is I'm giving you, and he tries to be really clear, you have a choice, God's way or the world's way. God's way or your own way. And I want to be really clear what happens when you choose God's way. Man, I'm just in this battle against the wind. That's right. I'll just let the spirit lead. Uh, uh, so God's way is and, and he even says when you go in there I want, to, I want you to read, write all this down I'm telling you and then I want you to be reminded again so on this mountain I want you to read all the blessings everything that God's going to do when you do God's way read it on that mountain and then there's a valley in between and then I want you to go over to this mountain and read all of the curses here's everything that will happen if we don't follow God's way if we choose our own way and choose the way of the nations around us and it's all these curses and and, it, and, and it's all, you know, there's scholars that even think this was written much later because it's, he predicts exactly what ends up happening to them because they do choose their own way and they do choose the way of the world. Um, so he's, he's making a really clear choice. And he says, now this choice isn't this really difficult thing that's impossible to do. It's, it's not like you've got to, somebody has to go up on this great mountain or somebody has to go way beyond the, to the end of the world. It's just right there in your heart, he says, and in your mouth. It's in your heart, and the word is very near you. The choice to follow God is right there. And for every, so this is where it applies to us, and that's what Paul's doing in Romans 10. He's applying it to us and saying, for all of us, God's way is always right there. Even if you think you've really drifted, even if you think, oh, my heart is so hard, I've been in sin, I've been all this. No, it's still right there. It's still right there. You know, in in Revelation, God, Jesus says, I'm right outside the door knocking. This is for a lukewarm Christian. You know, I'm right there. And, and God is saying, I'm right there. It's, I'm in your, your heart and it's your mouth. It's, it's what will you decide, though? What will you choose, though? And so uh, Moses is saying, choose life. Why do you keep choosing death? Choose life. And the same choice is ours today. And you know what that choice is called? It's called faith. Faith, I think we think of as being this thing that we, we have or we don't have, or maybe we happen to have faith or we don't happen to have faith. That's not the biblical th- model of faith. The biblical model of faith is I am choosing to do this. I'm making a choice to trust God. 
I'm making a choice to trust the story. With my heart, I'm going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So that's where Paul says, what, your mouth, what do you use your mouth for? You confess Jesus is Lord. You make a public declaration. That is, we don't get how uh, radical that was in Rome. For him to say, I confess Jesus is Lord. Why? Because the, the Roman slogan is Caesar is Lord. So for me to, to profess out loud Jesus is Lord, boy, that's countercultural, right? And that's, that's subversive even to, to Rome to say Jesus. That's scandalous. But it's also outward. It's, it's, it, it, I'm saying it out loud. I'm, I'm, I'm outward with my faith. But, so that's the outward sign of faith, right? The inward side, though, with your heart is that that's where you believe Jesus rose from the dead. I, he is my Lord. He, I believe that the resurrection is real. It's a real event. And that's where I put my hope in, is that Jesus really was who he said he was. And again, what did I say? The heart is the seat of your decisions, your, your, your will. This is the choice I'm making. So that's why, uh, that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about you know, saying the sinner's prayer to be saved. He's not talking about, you know, these things that, that have been interpreted from this passage in Romans 9. He's talking about that same choice. He's talking about that same choice to follow God, to choose to have faith. That's what he's talking about in Romans 9. And for us today, you know, it's the same thing. Our, the, the journey to follow God is a journey of faith from beginning to end. Romans 1 uh, in 16, we'll look at it later, but he says, faith that is first to last. And I want to talk to the, the older Christians, you know, people who've been around a long time. That's a lot of us. We tend to want to try to stop living by faith. We tend to want to just start to kind of, our, our, because at the beginning, it's really hard. I, I, I've got to stop having sex with my girlfriend. I've got to stop smoking pot. I've got to stop hanging out with those people because they do this or that. Whatever your story is, you know. Right, right. But, but you make these radical changes and it's really hard. But then you're around for 20 years, 30 years. And Christianity kind of becomes like just, it's like a club membership or something, you know? And it becomes, you know, kind of this is just the thing I do, or this is what we do. We just, we go to church, or, you know, we give contribution or whatever. And that's, that's how the Jews had become, right? It wasn't faith anymore. It was just doing these things. And Paul is reminding them, it's by faith. God, God will test you in that if it's not by faith. You know, and, and God has tested all of us this last year. What does it mean to be church? What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, what does it really mean, you know, when, when we can't go to church or when, you know, we're watching a YouTube video for our service? You know, what does it really mean to be a Christian and a part of this church? Boy, that's all been tested, hasn't it? And it's got to be by faith. The church is not an organization that you join with fees and protocols and, oh, here's our, here's our membership, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, the church is a journey of people who are following this way of faith Amen. together that we believe in and that, and that God is going to be there for us. Um, I got to move on, but he talks here about the story of Elijah. Uh, Elijah, if you remember, he had a great victory with the, against the prophets of Baal. And then he, he, he was, he was scared and, and, and he was afraid from Jezebel. And so he got really discouraged and he just wanted to die. And he thought he was the only person left that was righteous. And God tells him, you know what? You think you're alone, but you're not alone. There's a lot of people still on my side. And, and Paul reminds them of that in these chapters. Go back to Ro, uh, Romans. He, Paul reminds them of that in these chapters here in, in Romans 10. Uh, he, he reminds them of that story, Romans 10, and the 
the beginning of chapter 11. And his point is that a lot of the Jews don't follow Jesus. That's true. You know, because these Jews, they, these Jews in Rome, they feel so, like they're afraid to give up their Jewish identity. And Paul's not saying you need to give up your Jewish identity, but he's saying you can't put your trust in these things, you know, anymore. And they're afraid because it's like, well, there's not many people like me. Most of the Jews have not followed the way of Jesus. And, and Paul says, that's true. You know, a lot of people haven't followed Jesus yet, but that doesn't mean it's not right. And, and there's always a remnant. There's always some people who are doing the right thing, even if it looks really bleak. And so even in the time of, of Elijah, he thought he was all alone. But God says, you're not all alone, Elijah. I know those that are mine. And, and, I, and I've got some that, that I've got enough. I've got enough to do what I need to do, God says, with my story. I have enough people to do what I need to do. Um, there's this, uh, I'm only on episode 27 of the Bama podcast, so don't look down on me. I just, I do it gradually. I, it's like my thing. Every once in a while, I love it. I, I want to stretch it out, right? So I just heard the one about uh, the tree. Remember, he's talking about these images of the desert, if you've heard about this. And there's this tree called the Rotem tree. I think I have a picture of it here. Yeah, it's probably, you guys can't see it at all. It's uh, online. You guys get to see it. But it's just, in the desert, there's this, everything looks just completely barren. And then there's this little, like, shrub, right? And it's got a broom tree. We call it a broom tree. And, 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 but that's an image that's used in, in the Bible a lot. And it's used in the Elijah story, and, and where he goes and he just takes shelter under this broom tree and prays that he would die. And the, the, this, this uh, tree is used a lot in Scripture to say, God's going God's to gonna take care of you, even when it seems really dark and you have nothing. You know, there's that tree, that little broom tree, and, oh, okay, I got my shade, and now I can keep going. And, 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 and so there's this idea that if we trust God with the story, he's always going to provide for us. Sometimes it's bounty. Sometimes it's just a little broom tree to get enough shade to keep going. But we got to trust him in the story, and we can't go back to trying to choose to establish our own righteousness we got to follow God's way and trust the story. Amen? So then he turns to the Gentiles in Romans 11. Number two, I want to talk about your place in the story. He turns to the Gentiles and says, let's talk about you. Let's talk about how you fit into the story of God's people. Uh, Romans 11, uh, he kind of talks about the remnant, as I mentioned. And then in verse 11, uh, he, he's, uh, sorry, skip down a little more. Verse 13. I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Continue therefore the, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So Paul is, is remember again the context, right? The weak and the strong. So, so he's been talking to the weak. He's been talking to the Jews and reminding them of their story, uh, reminding them of all these things they really know well. 
about what faith is, and it's right there, it's right near you. It's, it's by faith from first to last. That's, you know, even for the ancients, it was salvation by faith. But now he's talking to the Gentiles and saying, now, I, I, know, I know I wasn't talking to them. I was talking to the Jews, but now I'm, I'm reminding you guys. So don't be all prideful, right? Don't look down your noses at these Jews. Don't think, oh, yeah, we're the real deal now, right? That was all, you were, that was all just so that we could come now. Now it's our time. And he, he uses the imagery of being grafted in. So a tree, does everybody know what being grafted in means? So, so a graft is like, like if we were to chop off a branch or maybe a branch up here, and then take a branch from another tree, and you can just stick it on there and then bind it together, and it will grow together. It's kind of a weird thing with grafting. It has to be the same general kind of tree. It can't be just a completely different kind of tree. But every kind of fruit that you guys get from the grocery store, that comes from grafting because uh, farmers don't want to trust uh, genetics to just end up with whatever apple. They want the specific kind of apple. I want the you know, a uh, gala apple or whatever it is that you like. So a ga- all, every gala apple is all a genetic clone that's been gotten from grafting in. So they have an apple tree growing and then they put the gala branch in there so we get gala apples because we want to make sure we get gala apples. That's how it works. And so Paul is using that analogy to say you've been grafted into this tree. So you, th- that means you did nothing, <laughs> you know, and you can't take any credit. And you're dependent on the root. You're dependent on what came before you. So don't be arrogant, right? Uh, have respect. Have respect for the bigger picture. And I think that applies to us. You know, we need to have respect for everything that came before us. I think we can sometimes, we have a history. I, I, I just want to confess the sins of our church. You know, we have a history in our church of being prideful. We're it. We're the fastest growing this or that. We're the only, we're the one church of the generation of this or that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm, I love our church. I, that's why I'm here, you know. But, but we have a little bit of a history of arrogance. And, uh, and, and I think we need to be respectful of everything that's gone before us. We don't even know our own history a lot of times. And there's a lot of people that died, you know, for what we're able to participate in. It like, literally gave their lives. I mean, you look at the, the stories of the Anabaptists, for example. Oh, my gosh. Their skin is peeled off while they're still alive. I mean, awful, awful stuff. Or the, the, the stories of the people that were the first people to translate the Bible into a language that normal people could have. Man, those are some crazy stories. There's a lot of stuff that led to what we get to enjoy. And so we got to be grateful, right? I'm lucky to be here. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just lucky to get to be here. And, uh, you know, this is an area for the youth. I want to talk to the youth. If you, if you, if you want to apply that to yourself, whatever age you consider youth. I'm listening, Brian. <laughs> But, you know, I appreciate the youth. You guys are growing up in a unique time in human history. There's been no time in human history that you have access to all of the world's knowledge in your pocket. That's so unique and so weird. I mean, I had books, but I had to go to the library. You know, I I couldn't find all this. I mean, I, I had to really look to try to find out something. I mean, the lyrics to a song. I mean, I don't know what the lyrics really are, you know, I you know what I mean? You have to find someone that has that actual cassette and then try to, hopefully there's liner notes. Oh, there's no liner notes. What is he saying in that song? All you do is go, hey, Siri, give me the lyrics, blah, 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 you know? I just, some of your phones just started uh, talking. Yeah. I mean, you have access to all human knowledge. So what that can do is make you go, you know what? I don't really need old people. You know, I don't really need, I don't really need other people, you know? Not that you guys think that way. But that's a, that's a cultural thing of, of kind of going, I don't really need the older generation anymore. 
You know, we, I, have, I have all the answers right here. And, and, and instead, I think we could be a culture where we value older people. We value, I mean, every other, like I said, every other uh, culture in human history, it's like the, the older people have the knowledge. That's how you find out how to parent. That's how you find out how to have a great marriage. That's how you find out, you know, the, the, the mysteries of life is to talk to an older person. But it's like, no, I don't need that. I can look it up on YouTube now, right? And, and I'm not saying, you, you know, these other sources of information aren't bad, but let's, let's be a culture, let's be a family where we value, you know, the, the, the perspective of people who've been down that road already. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate we, we did a, a Zoom call with uh, 300 screens. I don't know how many people, but of, of churches from all over our, our country, uh, of our family of churches, all over the world, actually. There's people from all over the world. And it was all about intergenerational, bridging the intergenerational gap, listening to each other. Uh, in particular, I think in this one, the older people listening to the younger people. That's very important. Uh, and, and being respectful and really, really listening. But there was also, uh, you know, Tony Fernandez, who he took over this big church, 700 people at 30 years old in Florida. And they were talking about the dynamics between him and the elders there. And he said, I look at it kind of like my dad, like my dad is a carpenter, uh, Tony said, and I love to do carpentry. And I can look up stuff on YouTube, and, and, I, and I don't, so I don't bother my dad with everything. You know, I look stuff up on YouTube, I figure it all out, but I always get to this point where I'm stuck. And that's when I call my dad. You know, and I love that imagery, you know, like, like let's use every source of good truth, right, that's out there, but then let's value each other. Uh, and I don't mean just the youth valuing the old, but I'm just saying that's a point where we can really stand out uh, in our church if we, we need each other. I want to learn from you. I want to learn from the youth. And, I, and the youth should want to learn from old guys like me as well. Amen? Uh, he says, do not be arrogant, but tremble, verse 20. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? What does he mean, tremble? Like, does he mean you should, don't be arrogant, but just be down. Just be depressed. I don't think so, right? Tremble. I don't think it means you should be insecure. You should be so scared all the time. You're just trembling. Oh, I'm scared. I don't think that's what he means. I think he means like a humility, like a, a you know, a sense of awe, a sense of, uh, I think, understanding your own weakness. You know, I was reminded of my weakness this week. You know, I, 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 last time I preached, I said, anytime you have conflict, it's an opportunity for you to look, if you can be like Christ. And I had some conflict this week, and I was like, man, I'm not like Christ. You know what I mean? I thought about what I'd said, and I, I was frustrated. I, was, I felt disrespected. I felt, like, not listened to. I felt just these things, like, and really what the core of it was was my own arrogance, feeling like I deserve something. I deserve people to listen to me, or I deserve to be heard, or I deserve my, what I want, or I've earned this, or whatever. It's like I haven't earned jack squat. You know what I mean? I, I, I have no reason to be arrogant. I am nothing. I am just here by the grace of God. So that's what I think it means by trembling. I'm just happy to be here, Lord. I'm weak. And, I, you know, that's what Paul says. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I, I boast in my weaknesses. And so that's where I, I want to close with this idea of wh- wherever you are in your faith, your story matters to God. Even if you feel like, I am so weak right now. That's part of a great story. Whoever went to a movie where the, the protagonist was awesome at the beginning and then everything went awesome and then it ended and he was awesome. Super boring. Right? The greatest story is when it looks the bleakest. It's like, how is he going to get out of this? And then somehow it goes great, right? 
comes back or, you know, he fights back, he gets out of it, you know. Uh, and so if you feel super weak, that's okay. Like you're still part of God's story. God's still doing something in your life. Uh, God, he says in verse 22, God has kindness and God has sternness. When do you think you get the sternness? When you're arrogant, right? When do you get the kindness? When you tremble. When you go, I, I'm at my, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything, God, right? I'm just here. That's where you get the kindness of God. You can do it. I'm with you. I, that's why I died for you. I have grace, you know. And so there's freedom in just letting go of our arrogance, letting go of our, you know, claiming this, just, you know, God's grace makes the most of your story. Grace makes your weaknesses matter, all right? Grace makes us okay to be who we are. We don't have to try to be somebody that we're not. You can be the best version of you, you know, in, in God's family. And, and God has something special for you, no matter what your background is. I remember I, used, I grew up in this church, so I remember feeling as a kingdom kid that my testimony was not that great, you know, because it was kind of, you know, I'd hear testimonies of people that, oh, yeah, I used to sell crack cocaine, or, oh, I used to, uh, I was in a, you know, I, I was in a band of misfits that, you know, stole money from banks, or I don't know, you just hear these crazy testimonies, and I'd be like, well, I grew up in the church, and, you know, I became a Christian, and I realized I need to be a disciple, you know, like, it was just, I felt like my testimony wasn't that good, and, and, uh, you know, I, I only, first time I had sex was on my wedding night. You know, first time I had alcohol was communion. You know what I mean? I could, uh, but, uh, you know, the older I got, I was like, I am so grateful for my testimony. Like, I have such a great marriage, and uh, we don't really fight. We, we get along great. Our marriage is awesome. Our sex life is awesome. Uh, but it's like, I think we need to know that, you know? We need to, Christian sex is awesome. I know I'm making her uncomfortable. I'm sorry, Eddie. Don't look at her. Look at me. <laughs> um, but no, but I mean, like, I think it's so awesome. Like, I, I want every kid in our church to have what I had, right? I, I really do. Like, I would not trade it. And, uh, I love my testimony now, you know, so I think, but, but like, but now you might be listening to me going, oh, well, I wrecked, I wrecked it. I had this, I ruined everything. No, no, your testimony is awesome too, right? Whatever your testimony is, wherever you've been, whatever your journey has been, it's valuable to God. It's part of this tree. You're not, you're not your own little tree. You're part of this big tree, Paul is saying. You're a big tree. And so you can be free to, to be who you want to be. I want to show you a video right now. I really hope you can see it, uh, this is a, a, a quick little uh, illustration of somebody trying to be someone he is not. Okay, so quick video and then we'll, we'll pray for communion. A British man who took on a goat's eye view of the world has been rewarded for his efforts. Because we're all completely trapped inside our own brain, and our own perception of the world. I can't make this stuff up. Thomas Thwaites had a set of prosthetic legs built and spent three days living among goats in the Alps. He did it because he, <laughs> he wanted a simpler life. And he says it was fascinating. A little bizarre, though. Thwaites co-won an IG Nobel Prize for biology with another man who tried living as several different animals. <laughs> the IG 
IG Nobel Awards. <laughs> the IG Nobel Awards honor research that may seem bizarre <laughs> or amusing, but actually provokes thought. God, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is my favorite part right Don't here. Watch Reese. the video. I can see it. Guys. Well, we're looking for quite the game tomorrow uh, for the Bombers. Uh, yes, we are. No goats invited. No goats invited. Yeah, I know a lot of you probably couldn't see that, but uh, you could watch it on YouTube on your way home. It's uh, just look, man, man lives as a goat or something. Uh, it is just so funny and it's so ridiculous. But, but I think you know that's that's what it's like when we're trying to be someone that we're not, right? That's what it, what it is when we're where we're wishing we were someone that we're we're not instead of going. This is who God made me. This is how God's working in my life. This is the story of what God's doing in my life and in my family. And I want to be, I want to make that choice to live by faith. Wherever I am, I want to make that choice to live by faith, whatever that means. And so I want to challenge you wherever you are in your faith, what is the faith decision God is calling you to do? You know, what is the faith decision? What is the choice in front of you? Where, where I, okay, I can see that's by, that's by sight. That's what I can see. That's what I can touch. That's what I can hold. That's what I can understand. That's the choice that's by faith. And I want to call on you to make that choice by faith and make a choice to trust God. You're an important part of God's redemption story. And uh, as we pray for communion, I want to close with the doxology in, uh, at the end of Roman, uh, Romans 11. Uh, and this is just almost, it's like a hymn that, that Paul just breaks into as he's talking about story and how amazing God is. And what follows this is what Steve preached on last week. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's why we do this, what we do. That's why we live these principles. That's why we serve. And thank you so much for many of you who are like, I want to serve now. <laughs> you know, Thank you for Steve's challenge and Steve's support and, and Steve and Jackie being there uh, for us. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for this church and for the way that people respond to the message. But, but, but what leads to that is, is who God is in our lives. And, and let's just reflect on this. And I even ask you to, to kind of read this over a few times as, as you take communion. Uh, Romans 11.33, this is a beautiful hymn, uh, most likely, that Paul quotes. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. It's like we just sang, how great is our God. How great, you know, age to age he stands. Time is in his hands. The beginning and the end. Verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? A quote from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, when we think about what you have done for us, really it is everything. Uh, you've given us everything in Christ, everything we need to make that choice to choose life, to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, to believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. God, uh, we have never given anything to you, really. Everything has come from you. And uh, we just thank you at this time to take communion as a tangible remembrance of what we've been given, Jesus' body and his blood. Literally, we can ingest this bread and this wine and just think about accepting these blessings from you, the blessings that you give us uh, in your redemptive story. Uh, God, I pray that we would make decisions right now, even as we take communion, to trust you, uh, to, to, to not be arrogant, but to tremble, and to uh, just be grateful for what we've been given, 
and uh, to give you and pledge to you the rest of our lives because of what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.